very good at optimizing their energy. Yeah. And and I've always <laughs> optimizing their energy. You mean they're lazy bastards? <laughs> <laughs> it's all about positioning. Hello and welcome to episode 112 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is well you decided. You're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm no rock star, but I picked up a thing or two over my 25-year career from techie to CMO, and each week on this podcast, I chat to the true rock stars, my fabulous guests and chums, and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that will inspire the rock star CMO in you. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn and proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode is recorded on Friday, April the 29th. I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, Jeff Clark shares his tips for brand research. I have an entertaining conversation with Matthew Woodget of Go Narrative and we wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with Robert Rose for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. <laughs> On to our first segment with my chum, Jeff Clark, a sought-after marketing strategy advisor and former Serious Decisions Forrester Research Director. This week, we ask, who are you? As we dive into brand measurement. Welcome back, Jeff, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am doing well. Thank you for having me back yet again. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. And um, I got some feedback that I need to be stricter with you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can say something but i won't <laughs> <laughs> i've got to try and keep our slot a bit more to time is wait well, that's i know it just it's i mean we we pick these big topics you know i know there's I so know. much to say i know i know um but just so do you think we should cut out the weather slot then <laughs> sure that's fine <laughs> it's, it stinks today so let's skip, let's skip that one well, I hope you've had a good week, mate. And I yes. think um, I think there are people that like to know that you're well and that we are well. Well, thank the you. The weather is good. All right. Thank you. So folks. this week, as we have planned, which it probably doesn't sound like we planned, but we do plan. Um, the, we're going to talk about the, as we promised last week, the uh, confluence of the two effing marketing fundamentals that we talked about first. Number one, brand, and number two, market research. And we're going to talk about brand measurement. Uh, so. Uh, well, say you, Jeff, where do we start with that? Where do we start? Well, it is, um, I mean, I think when we first talked about market research, uh, we, you know, we're at least 
you know, a lot of times when I talk about it, I focus on, you know, understanding what the customer needs and, mm-hmm. you know, how do they, you know, what, what's the language they use, et cetera, et cetera. But, but I thought, you know, it's also, and certainly one of the things that I've done myself more research on at mm-hmm. the companies I worked in is brand research. So understanding what they think of you <laughs> as opposed yes. to what we think of or what they think of when they're not yeah. thinking of us. Um, and, um, it's just a, you know, it's a, it's kind of a wide open topic. And it's also when people think of brand research, oftentimes, uh, and, and I don't know, maybe I'm, I don't know if I'm showing my age, but people think focus groups, um, mm-hmm. which is certainly has a, um, you know, that's a, that's a valid tool to use, but there's so many other, uh, tools out there, particularly these days with the advent of, you know, social listening, mm-hmm. um, web surveying has certainly gotten easier, cheaper, uh, um, and, and there's just so many tools to give us information. So there's, there's, yeah. you know, there's lots of ways to, um, to, uh, to, to address this, but I think the, the place to start is, is asking yourself the question of what is it about your brand you are you're trying to measure mm-hmm. and and i and i think when we when we talked about brand back in the first f and fundamental uh, episode mm-hmm. um you know i talked about there's you know there's the awareness perception preference i mean those are those right. are kind of like the three big buckets yeah. um but you can break it down even further so when you talk about awareness it's like there's just pure name recognition you know mm-hmm. If if I have a particular audience out there, how many of them even know I exist? They've heard the name uh, there, and then there's reach. So mm-hmm. um, certainly, an aspect of awareness is, you know, is my message getting out there and and hitting people? You know, making impressions, whether they're they have an opinion about it or not. Mm-hmm. Is it just is it just getting there? And um, and then when you move into perception, perception can be a couple different things. Could be you know. Do I recognize, you know, us as a vendor in a particular category? So there's mm-hmm. a, you know, somebody who's looking to solve a problem. There's a set of competitors or set of companies that do that. Do they put us in that category or do they put us, yeah. think of us somewhere else? Yeah. Uh, or there's also an attribute, you know, so, you know, when I think about Apple, I think about computers and, you know, uh, simplicity. Or when I think about, yeah. um, you know, TikTok, I think about visuals or video that is, that is, um, you know, short lived or so there's, yeah. so there's those things that are, um, and when would, we talk about attributes, we were talking about things like secure and trusted and absolutely. all those things. As I well, mean, it could right? be, but, yeah. I mean, there's kind of an open, well, yeah. you know, to me, I've always said, you know, a brand, brand can be defined by a company name and an attribute. Um, yeah. is when you take it down to its simplest. So, yeah. so, you know, <laughs> the company name and they say, Oh, I know, I know, I know who Apple is and I've got an attribute. Yeah. And if the attribute's different than what, then yeah. what we would want that attribute to be, um, yeah. then we have to, you know, work through how we deal to, to change perceptions. Yeah. Um, and then the, the last category is, is preference. Uh, and preference can be, if it's kind of pre-purchase preference, then there's the, mm-hmm. you know, do do you have a propensity but to buy from this vendor? And mm-hmm. then if it's post-purchase, you can look at either satisfaction or kind of the higher level degree of satisfaction is advocacy mm-hmm. and and measure, you know, do I have people out there that are extolling the virtues of my brand? Yeah. Um and, and, and what are they saying? How are they saying it? What channels are they saying it on? Right, so those right. are kind of 
you know, three big buckets and then and then uh, seven little buckets underneath. That. Yeah, no, and this applies to B two B and B two C, isn't it? I mean, we Ooh. we're often talking about um, a B two B simply because that's our background. But if you think about that, about name recognition and reach and association with a problem or or a category, and, yeah. and 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 those things that you stand for as as a brand, and then would somebody recommend you? That's all B two B and B two C, isn't it? So that's interesting. So yeah, yeah. you've got awareness, perception, and preference. Now, what I'm interested in here is like when I've when when you look at brand insight and you're looking to try and do these things, there's a perception that you need to bring in a you know a, a, some external help, which is great. And but often it's a kind of like bit dark, and they'll come in and it'll be really expensive and it'll take forever and really do we have the time for this what what's your approach with how do we measure these things so so if you if you step back to the 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 question or the challenge you're trying to um you're trying to uncover i there's there's a number of different ways and we can you know i think in a future session we can kind of get into the the pros and cons of of each of those mm-hmm. different sets of tools but you know these just kind of briefly to cover some of the things that I did it in and I found value in is one time uh, when we were in progress, we were trying to get an idea of brand perception. And so we tried to do through phone uh, surveys, I think combination of phone and web surveys and tried to capture both the name recognition, the association yeah. and the category, the attributes and and preference propensity yeah. to buy. And, and so there, you know, we, you know, worked with uh, uh, somebody who was a statistician who actually could manage the project, and they worked with with a firm to actually do the calling and do yeah. the web based surveys, and um, and so it gave us a really good broad picture of where we stood against competition uh, mm-hmm. at those various levels. So it was, it, and it's it's almost <clears throat> to do that kind of breadth. Um, that's kind of the only way I shouldn't say the only way it's probably the best way to do it um Mm -hmm. because you're 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 reaching a broad audience that is Mm -hmm. supposedly not um biased anyway by virtue of the channels you're trying to get the information from and you're using professionals to get it and assimilate the information and do all of the cross-tabbing and stuff like that right so something like that needs you'd need external help unless you happen to have a uh a uh, survey expert and statistician yeah. on hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's been my experience. I think that if you try and write your own surveys, there's an art to it, isn't there? There is an absolute mm. art to it. And mm. and just the way you phrase a question yeah. or the way you ask yeah. for the answer uh, makes yeah. a big difference. And you, you don't want to lead with it. And and that can be a problem, actually, if, you, if you've got a vested interest and you're, you're wanting to lead the audience to a particular conclusion that yeah. you want as a marketer, right? Yeah. All right. So you mentioned focus groups just a moment ago. Yeah, and I, is and, that still valid? Yeah, and I think again, I think if you like narrow down to what you're trying to accomplish, um, yeah. you know, focus groups are are best when you're trying to get a deep discussion and you're trying to pull things out of mm-hmm. a set of prospective buyers. Um, and and so I, I know I've used it particularly when you're kind of reviewing messages or ad concepts, and you you know you just try to very simply lay out. You know, you know, we're whether you actually expose who you are or not, but it's like, mm-hmm. so there's a vendor who's selling this type of software and mm-hmm. here's a message. Does that does that message mean anything to you? Here's right. some creative. Does this mean anything? Does it, you know, and get yeah. feedback and and. You know, you're limited one, you're limited 
budget wise because you could yeah. i mean there are certainly there are organizations out there that run you know dozens yeah. and hundreds, hundreds of focus groups to try to get yeah. at something like a political party will do that but yeah. you know most of us you know don't have that so you really got to like boil it down yeah. to you know we got some ideas for an ad concept and a message and we just want to make we want to get some real feedback and we want to discuss it with people yeah um and so that's and having a having yeah. a moderator or having the the ability to actually solicit the the yeah. the um the people in the focus group and stuff is yeah. is um is really key uh, yeah. and, and, and that again sounds like something best done by an external company, right? Yes. Who can bring those people together? Yeah, and and don't and try remove, this at home. Yeah, remove <laughs> your biases, right, and the bias of the audience that you might choose. Yeah, so yeah. so that so so web surveys we can do, um, and, and then focus groups and, and bring people in to do that. It, is there um, other things that we can do? That, you know, yeah, I think because one of the, one of the um, challenges with the things we've mentioned so far yeah. is that is that usually you've you've got the ability to do that you know at the most once a year if mm -hmm. if you know if even that and and so you know if you're you know you're in a marketing department and you're you say we've got a goal to improve our our um our, our reach or our brand mm -hmm. preference scores and and it's like we're going to do a bunch of activity but you know i don't want to wait until you know, if I did a brand survey, you know, in January, I don't want to wait yeah. till next January to find Absolutely. out whether we move the needle or not. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like, well, what can I do to actually, you know, help me gauge that in the interim? And and so I think that's where today there's um, with the, you know, the, the tools we have, mm -hmm. when you look at any of these particular aspects, dimensions of, of uh, a brand you know, there are things that can that as in and of themselves may be more of a tactical measure and may not tell you much. But if I look at a sort of a suite of of um, tactic measures together, you know, yeah. and I look for the trend is how those those change over time. I yeah. can start to get a, a reasonably accurate picture of at least at least, you know, where we're headed. I may not yeah. be able to tell exactly you know right. why we're doing better or why we're doing worse but, yeah. I, but I can because, at least you know yeah, say that you won't that, have yeah so you won't ahead. because you won't have the qualitative quotes of talking to somebody you're looking at data at this point yeah. so you, so you're talking about things like social media monitoring and yeah and some of the data that we have yeah right? like like so you know like if you take um you know search you know so everybody's out yeah. there trying to improve search results so branded yeah. search revolts re results can yeah. tell you whether there's name recognition and I remember yeah. when we were at SDL you know yeah. the challenge we had was everyone had name recognition for some of our products, products. but they didn't yeah. necessarily have it for the organization yeah. um and then you can look if you're looking for perception you know you can look at your organic search rankings particularly against competitors. And so this is yeah. all things that, you know, you know, everybody's doing to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, you know, if you've got social tools or if you've got PR, uh, you know, monitoring yeah. tools, what's our share of voice, what's our share of ink, what are, yeah. what are impressions we're making on our, our social channels? If we're doing any yeah. kind of advertising, what kind of, you know, what, you know, ad yeah. impressions, <clears throat> digital or, or any other ways are, you know, has often been kind of, um, mm -hmm. you know, poo-pooed is, well, you know, what does that really mean? Again, if you're, if you're trying to just understand reach and you're looking at yeah. ad impressions plus social, plus your share of voice, plus maybe the, the web, you know, the number yeah. of web visitors. And if I look at that together and say, oh, 
you know, uh-huh. I, I, they're all they're all increasing, or some are increasing, right. others are decreasing. But if right. I index them together, I can actually I think, see what that overall trend looks like. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because we've all got Google Analytics, and I think that um, the that that traffic that those tools tend to get devalued as vanity metrics. But I think if you're looking at the right things uh, like brand search then you are getting an indication of how many people are looking for you, which would be a good indicator of brand awareness. And yeah. you can divide that up by geo and all that kind of good stuff. And oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're trying to understand, uh, you know, whether people put you in a particular category, particularly if you're yeah. if you're going into a new category, you know, yeah. product category and you're you're interested, you know, are we getting picked up vis-a-vis our yeah. competitors, then organic search rankings, influencer awareness, the number of reviews, you know, if, if you're mm-hmm. a product that's reviewed on any kind of sites like a G2 or yeah. tech target, then, then you, you know, you just, you're looking for numbers to say, yeah. at least people know we're in this, this market yeah. now. Yeah. And then, and then we could go to the attribute associations with some of our social media tools to say, well, are they, they know we're in the market, but are they actually putting the right characteristics right. together with our name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can see that in the search term, right? Presumably, yep. yeah, yeah. 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 And, but what are the, what are the downsides to this then? Because I think we talked about um, that you can't always trust uh, digital tools to reach your audience, depending on who you're trying to connect with, right? Yeah, I think. Well, some of the downsides, um, certainly from like the social media monitoring, is that mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if you are selling products that are that people discuss in social media um yeah. then okay that might be a good tool if you're not then it's not necessarily a good tool if yeah. if you're um you know sometimes you're picking up more negatives than positives because True. people tend to post <laughs> they, yeah, yeah, they're more yeah. they're more interested in posting when they're pissed than, than when than when they're yeah. happy um yeah. and uh and i think the other the other thing is that and we we kind of touched on this is that you know you don't necessarily understand why mm-hmm. you you you're seeing a particular trend unless you right. have a way of doing follow up so this is this could be yeah. where it's like okay we see <clears throat> we're seeing we're in a downward trend yeah but our search rankings well can we actually can we actually pull Diagnose. a set of yeah. uh of contacts to do phone interviews so that we can mm-hmm. actually then then go a little bit deeper and find out why or right. or if we're doing you know you know we had a guest on I don't know probably a couple of months ago talking about win loss analysis yeah 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 so now can yeah. we dive into the win loss analysis yeah. and somehow see what what they're saying which which may correlate yeah. Um, and you know, and try to just draw some so, some conclusions from that. Right. So, um, so in conclusion, as you were saying, conclusion. Um, so really, <laughs> this is this is about understanding exactly what it is that's important to you to measure from those three, and it may be all three areas: awareness, perception, preference, and what do we want to do. And then it sounds like then we we start to diagnose or start to find some key metrics that we can easily do, like our web traffic or our social media monitoring, and then use these more expensive tools to kind of diagnose into that when we see some trends coming and we get an understanding of what, where maybe the gaps are. Yeah, absolutely. That's and, and, yeah, and what, what we should put up on our site is just some examples of how you, you could take like three or four metrics and, and yeah. you know, do a baseline measure, index that as 100, and then as you see movement month to month or quarter to quarter, yeah how you come up with some uh, some trend analysis and then how you can also 
see, does that trend analysis correlate to what we're doing from a revenue standpoint or from a, you know, generating lead standpoint or closing oh, opportunities? Yeah. So. yeah, absolutely. Connecting this with awareness, revenue and trust. Yes. <laughs> like you said. Yes. All right. Well, that was fantastic, Jeff. And and because we prepared uh, for this, we've, we've, come in, we've come in on time, which is fantastic. <laughs> And I, I, I did start this with uh, with having a go at you that I should be stricter with you, but I should be stricter with myself because these are fascinating. Absolutely. <laughs> and, um, and of course, I must thank Irene, friend of the show, for her feedback. Um, so uh, our third agenda item, Jeff, uh, what song are we going to go for this week? We're going to go with The Pretender from The Food, food I almost said The Food Fighters, The Food Fighters <laughs> from uh, from twenty. 2009 2009 and 2009. Uh, the lyric the, the lyric which you picked up which made it appropriate is what yes. if i say i'm not like the others <laughs> hopefully i will pick that up on my um you know my, my uh my twitter account <laughs> and it also says who are you which is a great uh segment in this in those lyrics too so i'll play out with the pretender foo fighters so we've we've managed to um skip forward 20 years from the 80s so that's pretty good for us now last uh, last week we were t- 2019 so oh, well, we've we, actually oh, went right. we went back a decade just, yeah but that just... was, that was <laughs> that's true because we did that ai thing didn't we that was yes that we was did a weird, that was a weird old song anyway Excellent. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, we're, we're at risk of carrying on waffling and then, and then ruining all of our excellent strictness. So I shall let you go. And will I see you next week, mate? Yes. Yes, we, because I, I know we're... that. Because yes. we're gonna, we've got a special, haven't we? Because it's you and me talking to Simon Daniels of Pocacity. Absolutely. Former guest and marketing operations specialist. So Friend of the show. Next week. Friend of the show, yeah. yeah. Doing something a little bit different next week. A three-way. Now, people can make of that what they will. <laughs> what rock and roll song can we pull for that one? <laughs> I'm sure there's, I know a few, actually. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, um, I'll speak to you then next week with Simon. I look forward to it. Thank you very much. Have a great week. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. And that was The Pretender by the Foo Fighters, actually from 2007. And I will include all of Jeff's links in the show notes. And if, like Irene, you have any feedback or suggestions, we'd love to hear them. Drop us an email at hello at rockstarcmo.com. Right, on to this week's guest. Matthew Woodget is a technologist, marketer and storyteller whose marketing pedigree spans over 20 years. He heads up Go Narrative, where he helps marketers and entrepreneurs reduce frustration, increase reach and drive growth using story structures. He's a status quo challenger who is passionate about finding a better way to clarity. Matthew has a BSc Ons in Computer Science and Business Administration from the University of Kent at Canterbury. He's an accomplished filmmaker, photographer, diarist, blogger and science fiction author and now joins us on Rockstar CMO FM. I had fun with Matthew. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. 
Hi, Matthew. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am very well. Thank you so much for having me on your show. You're very welcome. And I'm talking to another Brit, but you're not a Brit here. Where am I talking to you? I am currently in Seattle, and I often have a lot of fun when people who are not in Seattle but in the U.S. ask me where I'm from, and I say, well, this is a Seattle accent, don't you know it? <laughs> well, as we were just discussing before our press record, you're certainly used to the rain there, so it's probably a home from home. <laughs> I sometimes think that might be why I love it here so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's nothing like the Seattle Seattle rain to make you think of London, so I think that's, that's excellent. So, um so tell us a little bit about yourself for the listener that doesn't know you. So I am a failed engineer. <laughs> Good start. Failed, I've actually got a computer science degree, which often mm-hmm. when I tell people that, they're like, what? You've got a computer science degree? Mm-hmm. And But I was, I was terrible at engineering and at maths. And I, I like to blame my dyslexia, which mm-hmm. brings with it some superpowers, some say. Mm-hmm. But uh, it definitely undermined my ability to code, shall we mm-hmm. say. But I've always loved technology. I was indoctrinated into the world of technology at a very early age because my father actually started working at Intel in 1978 because wow. he got this kind of idea that maybe this whole microprocessor <laughs> thing might actually be a big deal. <laughs> so I was indoctrinated really early on and yeah. he worked in sales and marketing, actually, even though he was an electrical engineer. So wow. I had this kind of role model in my life, my father, who had done engineering, but then had moved mm-hmm. into the business side of things. Yeah. Uh, but my parents still tried to encourage me to be an engineer, at least to get the degree. Yeah. And uh, so I did just by the skin of my teeth. I got a Desmond, <laughs> which uh, some folks will know what that means. And it was literally by the skin of my teeth. Yeah. But as I was, I was working at Intel as an intern, every possible opportunity, summers, Christmas mm. vacations, you know, mm. all the holidays. And as I did that, I started to realize that the engineers around me were terrible at, they were great at engineering, but they were terrible mm-hmm. at communication, even yeah. internal communication. Yes. And I started to kind of think, hmm, this is interesting. Maybe there's a place for me in this industry after all. Mm-hmm. And so that really kind of got me off to the races in, in, in my career in marketing and technology. Right. And where did you start in marketing with your career? So that's what inspired you to get into it. And by the way, we've got something in common there because it's my dad that got me into tech as well. I mean, we used to play with um, um, <laughs> showing my, well, no, I'm probably showing the age of the computers he was with. But when we were toddlers, we'd play with uh, punch paper tape and, and punch cards and stuff like that. But yeah, yes, that, so yes, we've got that in common. Um, so, th- so you saw that happening and, and could see that engineers can communicate. And where did you start with your marketing career? What did you do first? So actually, my first official kind of marketing job, if you will, yeah. was uh, in my final year at university. I wasn't quite ready to leave that lifestyle, <laughs> but there was no way on God's green earth that I was going to do an MBA or yeah. let alone a PhD. Yeah. And so I was, I was trying to figure out how could I how could I stick around for for, for an extra year or so, uh, yeah. and, and not really thinking anything would come of it. And somehow I got roped into helping out with the Freshers Week. I think mm-hmm. a friend signed me up uh, yeah. at, at some point. So I helped. And as I was going through this experience, I discovered a lot about the Students' Union. And at the time, our Students' Union had things like the president and the sports officer. Mm-hmm. But there was also a role called communications officer. Right. And I was thought to myself, hmm, I was doing work at the radio station. I was kind of involved a little bit in the union like that. And I thought, mm-hmm. 
interesting. So there's a, a job that you can do for a year and get paid. You're kind of a student, <laughs> but you're kind of not. Yeah. And I can I could do this. So uh, much to my parents' chagrin, because to get that Desmond, <laughs> I was going to have to get a 2-1 in my final year because I got yeah. a third in my second year. Yeah, I ran an election campaign. I still remember being on the phone to my mom looking out over the campus. And she's like, what are you doing? You've got, you've got to study. You've got to work. I was like, it's okay, mom. I'll make it all work. So anyway, yeah. I ended up getting elected mm-hmm. and uh, did that for a year. And for the first time was actually responsible for mm-hmm. communications, responsible for marketing, everything yeah. from print all the way through liaising with the local police if there was going to be a demonstration or something like mm-hmm. that. So that's actually my first marketing job was uh, at university, funnily enough. Wow, I love it. I love it. I'm going to fast forward right to now because we also share, apart from this childhood um, inspiration from our fathers to be techies, we also share a passion for content marketing and storytelling. Um, and that's what we're going to get to because we're going to get to your book in a moment. Um, why do you think content marketing and storytelling is so important? What, what inspired you there? I, I mean, why is content marketing and storytelling not important? Right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's, it, it take, if you ha, if you look at you know a recipe, I, I tried mm-hmm. to cook some uh, some um, uh, some squid this weekend just on uh-huh. a whim. So I got yeah. home and I looked through the the, the the cookbook and I didn't have yeah. all the stuff, but I was able to you know kind of piece a few bits and pieces together. But yeah. you know the squid on its own wouldn't have been very good. It needed all these other bits and pieces, yeah. and that's one of the things that engineers, product managers, uh, even some entrepreneurs tend mm-hmm. to forget and that is mm-hmm. the product is only one part of the puzzle yeah. and there's a reason why there's a saying if a tree falls in the woods and there's nobody to hear it right yeah there's a reason for that and and the reason and quite frankly if you don't have a way to effectively engage with people to get them interested then mm-hmm. they're never going to find out about the product there's just Absolutely. too much noise too many products too many things filling our plate nowadays and so yeah. that content marketing and storytelling is essential if you want to reach your customers yeah and you um you you bought the walk and talk the talk and you've written a book on the topic right uh, storytelling for action playbook the no bs guide for crafting business stories that increase demand and accelerate sales velocity Great title, particularly as it's got BS in it. I love anything that says bullshit, I'm in. Right? <laughs> what, what inspired you to write that, that book? What, what inspired me to write the book actually started about 10 years ago. And I was actually thinking this just the other day. I was like, oh, my goodness, I've been doing this professionally for 10 years. Yeah. I changed roles so many times in marketing, getting all sorts of different experience, which was kind of the thing you're meant to do when you're working in corporate marketing. Mm -hmm. And so for me, spending 10 years working on one subject is actually kind of profound. But it was 10 years ago that I actually was hired to be the chief storyteller for Microsoft Dynamics. Mm -hmm. And in that process, I not only was excited, I was finally going to get paid for storytelling. Mm-hmm. I hadn't got yeah. my I still haven't got my science fiction novels published because you know <laughs> family work and all that kind of stuff. But I was finally gonna get paid for storytelling. And yeah. I had this mentor back at Intel, uh, Nick Drew, great friend. Mm-hmm. And he I remember him saying to me at one point, if you can find the wheel that somebody's already invented, find it and use it. Mm-hmm. And he's a salesperson and salespeople are very good at optimizing their energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I've always oh, optimizing their energy. You mean they're lazy bastards? <laughs> <laughs> it's all about positioning. It's all about positioning. <laughs> it's the story. I love it. Yeah. No, carry on. Sorry, I should have interrupted. Yeah. So, no worries. When I started the role, I, immediately I thought, oh well, I'll go and. 
find some frameworks. Mm-hmm. I'll find somebody that's been doing this stuff and then I'll bring yeah. it into the team and we'll, yeah. you know, we'll land it. We'll get it done. Yeah. And I, I went out there and I started to officially learn how to be a storyteller, even though I'd written two science fiction novels. I wanted to make sure I had the structures right. I wanted to get really expert. I wanted to go really deep. And what did I find? Well, I found really kind of a cup. There's really three things. Number one, the hero's journey, mm-hmm. right? Number yeah. two, all of these kind of Hollywood approaches yeah. and even going to sessions at our sales conferences where we'd hired somebody to teach Hollywood storytelling. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the third one, this kind of personal brand, how you use your personal story mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. And what really struck me was what I tried to use hero's journey or any Hollywood mm-hmm. stuff in mm-hmm. business, people mm-hmm. just didn't have the bandwidth. They didn't. Right. I remember sitting down with my my uh, GM at the time, Christian, and we were preparing big keynote that he had. It was a big yeah. kind of big point of the year, and I was I was responsible for his keynote. I was designing it, nice. and I remember trying to talk with him about the hero's <laughs> journey and what we needed to do within the presentation. And he yeah. just shut me down. He's like, stop, 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 stop. Like just just like this, just get the presentation done. You know, very focused, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what do we need to? And we got get down to the brass tacks, Matthew. And so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, you know, and I, I managed it and we, it was a great presentation went really yeah. well, but it was a, it was a flag for me that made me realize I was spending time on this, these Hollywood and these heroes journey type models, but they just weren't translating yeah. into yeah, business. Yeah. It's just too yeah. much. Christian yeah. was managing you know, the sales force, the marketing plans, expansion into different markets, all this yeah. different stuff. He just didn't have the bandwidth. And that for me became this point of inspiration and inciting mm-hmm. incident if you will like what yeah. if i could come up with an approach to storytelling in business especially for technologists because right. my god technology needs help with <laughs> here in Chris. Absolutely. and that, that's where it all started yeah no and the book is actually a series of those playbooks isn't it with models methods and even worksheets in there um i'd love it if we had time to cover them all in fact i'd love it if we had time to cover your science fiction writing and also being chief storyteller at mike's all those things but if um i liked the core idea that you have of this 3d story model tell us about that yeah so that's 3d three things right the three d's is d1 d2 d3 which is a far cry from joseph campbell's monomyth 17 steps with (laughs) dragons and deepest darkest caves and journeys and returns and you name it right oh my goodness what does even that stuff mean i wanted to come up with a, a a way that was accessible and mm-hmm. for things to be accessible you have to have a starting point right mm-hmm. every journey starts somewhere whether it's trying to solve a problem trying to get something and the yeah. same goes for models having a model that's really simple and easy to start using yeah. immediately yeah it doesn't matter if there's depth you can go into later on but if you can't make that first step you just will never go any further no. it's what we would call you know in business the term roadblock right it's yeah. a roadblock just sitting in front of you yeah. so the 3d model for me was how can i develop something that's simple memorable and opens up marketers business people technologists in particular to be able to start using storytelling today mm-hmm. and to be able to see the story that they want to tell from all angles so that's where the 3d comes in right but the three words themselves three words that begin with d two simple ones and a fancy french word so <laughs> lovely desire <laughs> mm-hmm. difficulty and denouement right so i'll get to that fancy french word in a second but yeah desire very simple 
somebody wants something that, mm -hmm. that could be like the splinter that needs to be removed, or it could be the dream that wants to be achieved. Mm -hmm. Somebody wants something. So you don't see hero mentioned in this framework at right. all, right? Right. In fact, you don't even have to think about a person because once you start thinking about desire, you immediately then take the next step. Well, it's a person who has a desire. So I don't need to yes. teach my grandmother to suck eggs, so to speak, right? I just have yeah. to say desire because that yeah. triggers the right things in your brain because you've Plus, got the tools to do this. Absolutely. And then if Plus only, the main actor, when you talk about desire, is going to be the buyer, right? You've immediately taken yourself out the story as the vendor, which we're always telling stories about ourselves and not about our customers. So by talking about desire, you've immediately flipped it, right? And I'm glad you mentioned a customer there because this actually starts even sooner. Right. This starts with that conversation with Christian, for example, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. This is the internal conversations as well. Yeah. We don't just have to sell our products. We have to sell our ideas, mm -hmm. right? Our latest yeah. blog on elevator pitches also talks about this could be an elevator pitch for an idea that you've got that you want your CEO to support. Right, right. right. But it's people. People have a desire and people are an essential element in stories. And I still remember, you know, 10 years ago when I was really starting to geek out on the structures of storytelling, mm -hmm. I would sit in meetings. I remember sitting in this big all hands. It was a coming out party for the CMO, new CMO. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's like he stands up on stage and he's like, we've got a great story. We've got the SKUs that our customers want. We've got great pricing. We've got you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you mentioned story. Right. So yeah. where's the story? And there was no story. And right. one of the big failings is, is not putting people in that story. So starting yeah. with desire is a yeah. forcing function. What does your boss want? What does your CEO want? What nice. does your partner want? What does your sales force want? What is your, the marketing team you work with as a product marketer working with the, you know, the Marcoms team, the advertising team, the PR mm -hmm. team, what do they want? And of course, where is all this going? Like you said, what yeah. does the customer want? And that's the yeah. first D. Mm -hmm. And the second D? Difficulty. Wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> wouldn't it be nice if we could get what we wanted when yeah. we wanted it yeah. all the time? Has that yeah. ever happened? Maybe on occasion, but generally, <laughs> even if you're hungry for lunch, it's like, oh, I'm hungry. Do I have anything? Did I make my yeah. lunch? Have I got anything in the fridge? No, yeah. I've got to go somewhere to get the food, but I'm busy and I got to get in my car or go for a walk to get the food. It's yeah. like, even something as simple as getting rid of that hunger pain has yeah. things in the way. And that's what yeah. difficulty is all about. Right, right. And I like that as well, because um, so often you read like case studies and stuff. And, and we talked about this on the show before where there was problem and then there was law solution. There was no, there's none and of the benefit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Woo! None of, none of, and and what, uh, what people want to read, isn't it, is that part of the story is how did they overcome that? What were the pains they had? Because they understand the desire, but they want to know how they're going to get to. And then I've got to ask you about your front, fancy French word, the third D. What was that? So the fancy French word is is really, really important part of the equation mm -hmm. because of what you just mentioned. Yeah. It's so tempting to move into the solution, into the benefit, right? Mm -hmm. You've been thinking about features and customer problems and how we solve those and all this kind of stuff. And so you rapidly go from the the, the problem into what does our technology do to actually solve that and what's the benefit yeah. of it? Yeah. Well, all of that is moving too quickly away from the people that, in, that are involved. Mm -hmm. Their mm -hmm. why. Why are they, is this happening in the first place, right? And that mm -hmm. goes back to the, the desire, obviously. And I'm glad you mentioned case studies. In fact, we've got a whole approach to case studies as well, which didn't yeah, make it into this too. book, but it will be in the next yeah. the next version. Yeah. And, and so this kind of idea of solutions or results is mm -hmm. only a part of the puzzle. 
The thing is with storytelling, one of the really interesting things about storytelling is it is it's not just for fun. Mm-hmm. It's about communicating something of importance. Yep. We actually, the reason why storytelling exists, really two reasons. One is it's a, how our brains work. We're all trapped. I think it's Will Store or is it Uval Harari who talks about being trapped in this prison of bone prison, this black, dark <laughs> yes. bone prison. I think it's yeah. Will Store. Yeah. And we use, it's, you know, our senses are then processed to create this picture and we put ourselves in that picture. That's the beginning yeah. of storytelling. That's mm-hmm. you as the hero in your in your life and your journey. And yeah. then theory of mind is where we start to think about that with other people. But the big, big deal about the telling part for storytelling mm-hmm. is when we were sitting around the campfire on the savannas of Africa yeah. and communicating about where the poisonous berries were, where the shelter was, where the mm-hmm. lions were, whatever it happened to be, yeah. the tribes that communicated the most effectively are the tribes that survived and yeah. went on to... You know, propagate the rest of the human race yeah, the very yeah. basics of evolution right mm-hmm. and the tribes that didn't didn't and yeah. were, are no longer here and so yeah. through that process we actually developed our communication style around storytelling so we can't mm-hmm. communicate without storytelling you can't even talk about communication like we're doing now without using stories to communicate that whether it's metaphors or a personal story and so businesses go so far into the solution space they forget to talk yeah. about what other aspects are a part of this untangling of the knot. And that is what Denouement yeah. stands for. If you translate yeah. Denouement into English, the literal translation mm. is the untangling of the knot. How did you untangle the knot? Don't be the 10-year-old Matthew and think that you can untangle a knot with a kite, <laughs> with a pair of scissors, because you won't ever see that kite again. <laughs> was I thinking, I don't know, I was 10 years old. <laughs> But that untangling, there's things like, yes, the results yeah. are in there. Yes, your yeah. product's going to be woven in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. But what about things like this? What about what did the person learn? What did mm. they take away, away from this? How did they yeah. change? How did they yeah. grow? Yeah. These are things that we identify with and yeah. we either want or don't want. And so when we hear that story, are we hearing something? that we then want, or are we yeah. hearing something that do- that we don't want and doesn't work for us? Yeah, and, yeah. and so ultimately it's about going back to satisfying that want, satisfying that desire. And that's yeah. what Denouement is all about. I love it. Yeah. And so those are the three Ds. Um, we're, we're, going, we're trucking through the time, as I suspected we would. I haven't chatted to you before. Um, but I also wanted to quickly touch on, if I flick through a, a chapter or so, um, you put that all into action with this TRIPS methodology. And I love the way that you've got all these, these anagrams and methodologies and stuff. It makes it really easy to remember. So what's the TRIPS methodology? If you could do that real quick. Absolutely. So our TRIPS methodology is our narrative Mm-hmm. framework and yeah. so the narrative is the big story so when we yeah. develop strategic narratives for companies like microsoft or, or whoever yeah. right because microsoft is are, are a client unsurprisingly with the, yeah. the great people that work there and the relationships yeah. there but when we when we develop a strategic narrative we use the trips storytelling methodology mm-hmm. and it becomes that big story that big picture that all of those little stories you tell, whether it's a, through your sales channel, through your partner channel, through your with your your business partners in technology, right? Uh, it, all of those stories need a frame. They need yeah. a backdrop. They need something that's going to shape everything. Mm-hmm. And to do it intentionally, it's uh, we as humans love to use metaphors because mm-hmm. it's a shortcut to understanding. Anybody who's ever tried to explain anything to an elder relative has probably <laughs> said something like this. Yeah. It's kind of like, 
Yeah. And then that's something that the person that they have that relationship with understands because they know that yeah. person. So yeah. metaphors are really powerful. When you're intentional about your metaphors and intentional about your strategic narrative, you can yeah. choose the metaphors that make the most sense. But you can't do that until you've looked at the big picture. So right. our trip storytelling methodology is a tool to break that big picture down. Mm-hmm. Transformation. What's changing in the world that's going to create these potential desires, right? Yeah. What's the reasons to believe that transformation? What are the facts? What are the trends? What's the evidence that's out there? What are the, what, on the heart side, what are the aspirations, the desires of people who've gone through this process before? Mm-hmm. I is innovation. What's that special secret source that you bring to the table that helps with this? It, mm-hmm. Not everything you do, but that one special thing that you do. And then P is problems. It's kind of an explosion of difficulty and it's related less to his individual story and more to that big picture. So that transformation yeah. is going to create problems for people. Mm-hmm. And then when somebody tries to tackle that transformation there's going to be things that stand in the way of getting going and Mm -hmm. as you go through it there's going to be things that pop up along the way and then s s is stories what are the stories you can tell about the transformation out there in the market the history the famous person that's doing something a brand that's already been there before the reasons to believe the, the the people that maybe have gone through those experiences or the backdrop and the background for that trend and why we know that Innovation could be your founder's story. It could be a story about the reason why your company exists in the first place. And Mm -hmm. P, that's a great place for case studies, right? What are the stories that existing customers have gone through? And if you don't have existing customers, make one up. (laughs) We call a reverse case study or a reference design in technology parlance, right? What do you want your case studies to look like? This is kind of like Amazon's PR. Like you want to do a product? Come up yeah. with a PR release you would release to launch the product. This is the same. Yeah. What do you want that case study to look like? Yeah. Why don't companies do this? Start off like, here's our product. Here's what we want to come up with at the end of the day. Start yeah. doing that. So you don't have to have it. If you're an entrepreneur and you're developing your stories from, mm-hmm. from scratch, mm-hmm. do that. But if you're if you're an established company like an SAP or an Intel, then mm-hmm. go find some case studies that you can yeah. use. Yeah. No, I love this. And I, I also like the, some your methodologies can be applied to all sorts of different communications as well. And I, I read so much. I, I, I put it on LinkedIn recently. Is I read so much um, B two B copy that's so unstructured. I think p- applying some of these sort of simple rules about it doesn't have to be the hero's journey, as you say. But if it's got these three or four structures to it, then it comes across m- much better. Anyway, I better get on to our last question. This has been great, Matthew. I've really enjoyed this. Um, we have a regular feature on Rockstar CMO called the Rockstar CMO Swim Pool, our portal to marketing hell for overhyped trends, BS, and stakeholder from this marketing industry we love. What would you like to see chucked in our pool? The Hollywood sign. <laughs> the Hollywood sign? Yeah. Stop looking Stop looking to Hollywood to mm-hmm. be your inspiration for storytelling. Look, I love movies. Uh, yeah. My family, I drive my family crazy as I deconstruct the movie as we're watching it, right? Mm-hmm. When I make calls on what's going to happen. And, it, yeah. and you know, it's in, <laughs> often on the money, right? I love books. I uh, all, all yeah. those types of stories. I love that stuff, but it's just not the right place to use it. Right. It's too complicated. It's too off base. Yeah. If you're going to be a story geek like me, then by mm. all means, go and look at do that. Analyze those mm. things. Get inspiration from that, from, from from that. But if you're a marketer who's got a thousand things on your plate and you're trying to run a content marketing campaign for some mm-hmm. new product launch, don't look to Hollywood. It's going to slow you down. It's going to be too much learning. It's going to knock you off kilter. Focus. Use our 3D framework. Practice tonight. Tell yeah. your loved one, your mother, your brother, your sister, somebody on the phone sitting around the, the dining room table tonight. Tell a story of your day. 
-hmm. What did you want? What were you trying to do? What stood in your way? And how did you untangle that knot? What did you learn? What were the outcomes? What did you use to do it? Start using that and it's going to be much more accessible and you'll be able to tap into this amazing power without having to go and learn a completely different industry. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Throwing the Hollywood sign into our swimming pool. It's perfect. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you, Matthew? GoNarrative.com. Mm-hmm. That's the best place. You can speak to our story bot, which pretends to be me. And we have, <laughs> we have the frameworks are in there and you can kind of explore through the story bot. We've got tons. Yeah. We, we try and give away as much of our IP and ideas as possible because yeah. what we found is people often need help with it anyway. But if you yeah. can use it and apply it yourself, please do because I, I want the better storytellers in business and whether we're helping you with that or you're doing it yourself we're all in this journey together splendid well i'll include all your links in the show notes it's been an absolute pleasure again to talk to you matthew and i look forward to speaking to you again soon thank you thank you and thank you for everybody for listening cheers Hope you enjoyed that. Matthew is a fabulous chap. And of course, I will include links to him, his playbook and his agency, Go Narrative, in the show notes. Right, it's Friday evening. Time to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and find my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory, for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar. And oh my gosh, it's so noisy here this week. I, what? It seems like. Is that like a? a it, 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 it's a military band. It feels like it's, <laughs> it's some sort of marching military. What are you doing here? I mean, is it some some sort of very very? snare drum and the marchers band and well who doesn't love a marching band on a friday night in the bar yeah they're they're very welcome they're they're good drinkers they keep the bar going i see i see (laughs) yeah oh they're well they're loud they're throwing drinks around and all sorts of things as well oh there's a crash oh okay see what i did there now you have to actually time something i know (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm grimacing behind this laughter of how yeah. the hell I'm going to engineer that. But yeah. yes, I'm sure that uh, yeah, I shall uh, bring a marching band into my studio and uh, and see what we can record. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's my week. That's my weekend sorted out. Well, we have a lovely drink. Um, something I haven't mm-hmm. had since I was a kid, um, and I saw yes. it in a magazine, and I was like, I had to make it for us. Yeah. Uh, this week. Um, and uh, have you now you being an aficionado of gin? Uh, mm-hmm. Are you a slow gin fan? Is let me just ask that. Oh no, I'm. I, I mean, I'm. It's not that I'm not a fan. It's just that it hasn't crossed my path ah. recently. Oh well, as you it, say, it's been years. I I can't remember last time I had slow gin. Yeah, it's it's mm. uh, it's a lovely. You know, for those in the audience who may not know, it's a sweeter. Um, mostly reddish colored liqueur, um, yep. and um, uh, from the uh, from a, a, a the slow berry, basically, um, you know, blackthorn bush uh, is another is another way to refer to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the berries are really themselves are very sour, and and you but you make them into a liqueur in a very gin like mm-hmm. way. 
um, which is why where it gets its name from. And so it doesn't really have anything to do with gin other than the way that it's distilled. Um, yes. And so it is, yeah, that makes a slow gin. And of course, the, the famous drink that we'll be drinking tonight, which of course is most associated with slow gin, is the slow gin fizz. Um, ah. So you need slow gin for this, of course. Mm-hmm. You need a little lemon juice, sometimes a little lime juice if you like that for taste. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then club soda. Club soda is the uh, is the key there. And again, as always, as we say, you know, if you need a little sweetener in that, do do what you need to do there. I don't because mm-hmm. I I yeah. don't prefer my drinks to be so um, sugary, but mm-hmm. uh, but you can do that. But I think just a little lemon, a little lime, the slow gin. Mm-hmm and some club soda, and you have a very lovely and refreshing drink. Nice. I like that. And I like the fact you you get inspiration from magazines for this sort of thing, too. So it's I do. Very yeah, nice. I, yeah. I, you know, I see, you know, what they usually do is they remind me of things that yes. I've, I've had before. And I'm like, oh, right, I haven't had that in a long yeah. time. So, you know, yeah. I get, you know, as as we all do, I get tons of emails it's not like i open up yeah. a magazine on my back porch and <laughs> thumb through it um, <laughs> while the sun sets and i enjoy a cold iced tea no i get an email in the middle of the day and i go oh right and i bookmark that right you know <laughs> that's where it's you're much perfect. less romantic than i would like it to be i like the vision well i mean let's see where we're going to be transported yes. to to have this drink but i shall attempt to make it in my from my the ingredients on my desktop bar and as you just heard oops as you heard, I've put some ice in the glass. I'm assuming that it was an ice drink. Yes, it is indeed. Yes. Yeah. All right. And uh, my gin isn't slow. My gin is by Hendrix. <laughs> Your gin is quite fast, I suspect. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I've been uh, I've been at a company event for for three days this week. Uh, there was plenty of gin. <laughs> I yes. have to tell you, I'm a little bit had quite a lot. Uh, let's see now. So I'm going to put into that something very similar to um, to uh, lime and a little bit of lemon. I think you were putting in there, weren't you? Um, mine will be cucumber tonic water from the lovely ah, people at Feed a Tree. little bit like a little bit like club soda, but not really. <laughs> oh, that's right, the club soda as well. That sounds really refreshing, actually. That's loaded in with the with the. Uh, with the with, with the lime and lemon and, and some club soda. I'm going to give this a try. Mmm. Well, I might have overdone it on the gin, but that's delicious. Thank you very much, Robert. Mm. And what are we calling this? This was a slow gin fizz. This is the, nice. um, you know, your version of a slow gin fizz, but nonetheless, yes. Yes. Well, I definitely got gin and then it's a bit of fizz. So, yes, uh, that's it. That is gin. true. That is true. So it's we might call yours a fast gin fizz or a quick gin fizz. <laughs> Yes, yes, I like that. Agile, how so about an we... agile, an agile gin fizz? <laughs> yes. All the all the buzzwords. Let's do that. Yes. Uh, if it was if it was AI, AI powered, and if I made the decision based on data, then it's the perfect marketing drink. <laughs> <laughs> so, where are we going to drink these, mate? You know, I think this deserves. <laughs> Something, you know, where we haven't been in a while. We have been on this show before, but we haven't been in a while. Uh-huh. And it's another city that I haven't gotten to in some time, which is uh, Chicago. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, Chicago is a great place for a meal. And it is a great place this time of year because it is the perfect time of year where it's not hot, not mm-hmm. cold, 
The wind really doesn't pick up. It's just the most beautiful time of year in Chicago right now. And so yeah. you get these just gorgeous spring days um, yeah. where, you know, it's just warm enough to, to not wear a sweater or anything like that. And you can walk out on the water and, and have a drink and, and then mm-hmm. go for a great meal. And it's, and I've always found Chicago to be one of the best walking cities. I love walking yeah. in Chicago. So yeah. yeah, that's, that's where I think we're going to, we're going to spend uh, some yeah. time in an outdoor restaurant in the middle of Chicago, right on the river somewhere. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah, I've I've spent a lot of time in my career in Chicago. I've worked for two companies that were based there. I also uh, I did consulting for um, for McDonald's, and they were, they were in Oakbrook, ah, just yes. outside the city. And Sarah Lee Baker is down. Yeah, you're in a so very weird that. part of the city. That the the headquarters are, yeah. for McDonald's is, is a very yeah. you know you're like looking around going, why would there be a headquarter? Oh, there it is. Okay, mm-hmm. all right, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so. Um, that sounds wonderful. We're sitting in this out, outdoor restaurant. We're looking at the river, uh, the wonderful uh, springtime in Chicago. And we've chatted about uh, my time at McDonald's and all those things. And the conversation turns to marketing. What are we going to talk about this week? We're going to talk about technology, um, which uh-huh. is uh, something that you and I both share as a background. Um, we do. At, but don't often talk about. Um, and it's something that's on my mind recently because... I'm starting to notice a bit of a trend here. And so I, I, I started looking back on the idea of, you know, what is commonly called MarTech, right? We, we, and we know this very well at this point. We're 20 years into this idea of the MarTech stack. And both you and I can sympathize because we both suffered through this given our jobs that we had in the early 2000s, where in the early days of content... Uh, and working with content, we got lumped into the MarTech stack right away. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of that was because content was generally considered, you know, a function of marketing or communications. And so Mm -hmm. as we were trying to get our arms around content, we were mostly trying to get our arms around marketing content and communications content. So thus, the website, email, and other elements became sort of the focus of that. Now, interestingly, of course, and, and you know a little more about this than I do, you have you have some more background in this than I do, there was a lot of other content getting created that didn't get quite the attention in the MarTech stack about technical documentation mm-hmm. and structured yeah. content and creation yeah. of manuals and customer service and, and all that stuff. In any event, <clears throat> that's the way it was really for the last 20 years. And so the thing that I've noticed over the last five years is that we have finally started to recognize that content is a separate and distinct function from marketing operations or communications operations or even customer service operations. It is something that connects all of those things in terms of how we manage all of the communications for our business. So we talk a lot about content strategy, content marketing strategy, content as a function in the business. And that is all we can see the data, we can see the results. Businesses are taking that as a serious uh, notion that content Mm -hmm. is indeed its own thing. And increasingly what I find is, is that what we haven't done is to evolve the tech stack associated with that to reflect that content is its own strategic function in the business. And I'm finding myself more and more and more working with 
clients and companies that are saying, oh yeah, we have a tool to do that. And I'm going, well, that marketing tool, it can do that, but it's not really built to do that. And so we're we're optimizing content processes and operations by shoehorning in marketing operation technology into many of these things. And it's just time to recognize that content operations and management is a little different. It's just there are different requirements because there are so many other parts of the organization, such as technical documentation, such as customer Mm -hmm. service, such as sales, such as, you know, all of the things that we're Mm -hmm. doing for different audiences, different platforms that require us to do things. And so, you know, for example, we as content professionals, we have to balance things like govern, you know, governance structures across cross functionality, scalability, workflow content creation against any manner of content types, you know, not just web, but email and text Mm -hmm. and technical documentation and customer service manuals and content management and activation and measurement and repurposing and digital asset management and so on and so forth. And so far, what we really have lacked is this idea of building or thinking about as we build content as a strategic function, that it deserves its own stack. And I know we need another stack like we need a hole in our head, but (laughs) it's just literally a recognition that we have to get beyond looking at it through only the lens of marketing and say, oh yeah, we've already got a tool to do that. And then trying to shoehorn it in because that's a suboptimal way to think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think... Uh, for this for this particular topic, you, you drilled into something that I think would take more than one cocktail for us to, to yes, talk indeed. about. It's like my my special, well, your special subject from some time ago, and what you guys do a lot with the content advisory, right? Because um, I had uh, your colleague Kathy on the show, and we were talking a lot about uh, content operations and the technology behind that. And um, it's you know in in previous roles, um, we I've talked about the fact that every every business's second business is content publishing like you whatever it is you do as a company you make widgets you're really good at making widgets but your second job is to publish content whatever kind of content that is like you say it's the it's the manuals it's the it's every, you know it's all everything associated with those widgets that you make and and it, that is if you operationalize that content the way you operationalize your primary business you're going to work a lot more efficiently around that Exactly. I mean, and the, and the yeah. thing is, it's like, you know, we often talk about, you know, cause that's, a, I love that, that the way that you phrase that, you know, because the way that expresses itself sort of in media and thought leadership and the way, you know, we often mm-hmm. talk about this idea of every company needs to build a media organization, right. Within their, mm-hmm. you know, within their mm-hmm. business, because it's such an important part of what we're doing these days, you know, every company is ultimately a publisher as well as a, uh, as well as a, a whatever product or service they offer into the marketplace. But then what happens is, is that we shoehorn in whatever other elements of what other tech stack, you know, and a classic of this is the intake form, right? The intake form for ideation part of the creation process of content. How many times have we run into companies where the ideation uh, element, the intake of ideas for what content the business should create is quite literally some adjustment to their trouble ticket system. And 
and they're literally called trouble tickets, right? The the content team is getting trouble tickets as if it was an IT issue that they had to go solve and reinstall Windows for somebody to actually go yeah. create a new campaign. Down to the point yeah. where you're literally saying, what's the issue, right? The field, the form mm -hmm. fields are the same as a trouble ticket into IT, but it's just how it's, hey, we already have a messaging system and it's called yeah. the trouble ticket system. And that's how we get projects and instantiated into the IT group or the technical group. So we should just use that same system to instantiate yeah. ideas for content creation and therefore yeah. never capture the right elements of data, mm -hmm. never capture the yeah. right ways to do it, immediately assign it a quote unquote SLA or a response time, which is silly yeah. when we start talking about ideas for content and so on and so forth. And the only reason we've made that decision is because we already have something. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've um, and, and also it then gets that you know that mindset that we talk about around content production being measured on the number of things that you do, and also turning this thing into like a yes a content sweatshop, right? Exactly. Is that you know, exactly? So, yeah, yeah. And so I mean, I've, because they I've, match the processes, right? The technologies yeah. match the same processes, right? You know, yeah. what is it we're doing when we create a problem or create a yeah. create a, a piece of content? Well. We're solving someone's demand for a challenge or an, a problem that they have. Great. How we'll measure yeah. that is how many problems did you solve, quote unquote, yeah. right? And yeah. so how many pieces of content did you create? And so we measure ourselves by the one thing that the trouble ticket you know, system can measure, which is number yeah. of issues resolved. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we tend to, and as marketers, I think, and we've been led by our marketing technology as well, in that we, because there's features in the product that we're using, we use those features and it changes the way that we work and think that's rather right. than, yeah. That's yeah. right, which is very common in marketing, right? Which is where yep. strategy is set by the new technology rather than the other way yep. around. We go, ooh, that technology yep. can do that. Therefore, that should be our yep. strategy. Therefore, we're yep. going to acquire that technology. And hey, content yep. people, you need to learn how to do this because this is now part of our strategy. And the content people go, what? what? I, don't, <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I love it. And what, so what do you usually recommend to your clients when you're looking like at this holistic sort of content strategy challenge uh, of what tools or, or how they should approach the market in terms of doing that implementation? Well, the first is the, to recognize that it is a separate process, right? That it is a, yeah. that it is a separate thing. And, and it's not just putting in more or different technology for the sake of putting in more or different. There are plenty, yeah. you know, the, 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 the answer to the, the the question that I often pose or the the sort of pushback that I often say, which is, well, that tool can do that, but do you want to do that? The answer to that may be, yeah, it, mm -hmm. let's, let's just tweak that project management tool a little bit to match your process and away we go. Let's, you know, let's change what you have, you know, in so many ways, there, the, the two halves of enterprise technology are one, the technology and what it can do, and two, the way that it's implemented. And mm -hmm. and again, this is something both you and I have lived and breathed so many times, right? So how many times have we seen a crappy CMS get installed mm -hmm. particularly well and be a fine solution? And yeah. vice versa, how many times have we seen an amazing CMS be poorly implemented yeah. and be an awful solution? And so, yeah. Yeah. so it's... It really is those those two halves of the equation, and what we have to look at is 
pull pull the technology out of it for a moment because the only mm-hmm. thing technology is going to help us do is scale something or automate something. And mm-hmm. automation is really just a factor of scaling, right? And yeah. so it's really just going to help us, you know, it's a tool, it's a crowbar. It helps yeah. us do more yeah. than we can do from a human capacity. That's that's the yeah. only thing technology does. And so we have to mm-hmm. ask ourselves, great, what what things should we be doing that we need scalability on? Yeah. And so we have to actually pull the technology out first and figure yeah. out what the right thing to do is and then lay in, okay, what's the right tool that we need to help us scale or automate that thing? Oh, I love I love that. I mean that's the I mean that's just the great approach and to to any marketing technology or m- marketing task that can use some technology and then so many times people look at the look at the shiny new thing and they want the shiny new thing and they haven't figured out their requirements they don't know what it's going right. to as you say what it's going to automate or, or they're trying or to or they're trying to remove the human element yeah. out of it yeah. right you know in other yeah, words yeah. you know so many times we get the question well let's put in we need a we need a CMS to do this really super complex workflow because we have these two people in the organization who really shouldn't be viewing and or approving content, but <laughs> so we need this really complex workflow to actually, you know, prevent them yeah. from being, you know, going rogue here. And I'm like, well, yeah. why don't you just tell them not to push the publish button or tell them yeah. that they shouldn't be approving content? Well, we can't really tell them anything. Well, you know, that's, now, I mean, what are we doing, right? What are, what are we actually, you know, are we building technology to, 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 to really comply with our CEO's penchant for going in at the last yeah. minute and pushing the publish button when he shouldn't, yeah. you know, yeah. It, yeah. that's, that's the wrong reason to buy a piece of technology. I love it. I love it, mate. And, um, yeah. And I'm looking at the time and, um, I could talk to you about this for ages. Um, what, um, but if people did want to learn more about your thoughts on this and many other topics, where would they find that? Well, they might find it at our newly refreshed, wonderful website at contentadvisory.net. Wonderful. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, Robert, where are they going to find you? Uh, they will find us. Well, you know, here's what I'll, I, I haven't talked about in a while. Come listen mm-hmm. to our little nonsense um, on our podcast uh, that Joe and I do, um, if you if you have not done so already, and that's thisoldmarketing.site If you want to go find uh, a ways to follow the podcast through your favorite podcatcher, um, and uh, and see what we're up to there. I, I strongly recommend that. I'm a fan of the show. Of excellent, you and Joe Polizzi. All right. Well, and the other important thing is, once we're done with listening to your podcast and having these thoughts, will you be joining me back in the bar next week? I will, and I'm hoping the military band will be uh, will be <laughs> will be gone at that point. <laughs> Bless them. But it's nice of them to pop by. All right. Well, I'll see you next week in the bar, my friend. Indeed. Have a great week. Cheers, buddy. Great stuff from Robert there. He's speaking at CEX, the Creator Economy Expo in Arizona next week. If you see him, please raise a glass. So that's a wrap on episode 112 of the Rockstar CMO Airfing Martin podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff, Matthew and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello, follow their work and check out all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favorite podcast app 
or at rockstarcmo.fm. You can also find all our previous episodes. So, does the world need another effing Martin podcast? Let us know on the socials. We're Rockstar CMO just about everywhere or drop a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, we have a special episode as Jeff and I welcome marketing operations expert Simon Daniels for a three-way conversation. I will be back in the bar with my friend Robert Rose. Until then, have a great week and I hope you'll join us here again next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.